0: Hey, everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Before I dive into the message, I want to take just a moment to share a statement specifically with all of my black brothers and sisters in our community. And I just want to say to you right now that uh, I realize that the words, I'm sorry, are not near enough. I'm sorry for the injustices that you have had to endure. I am sorry for the systems that have failed you and caused you to live in fear and caused you to live with setbacks and roadblocks throughout your life. And I want you to know here at Brad's Fellowship, we are committed to being a part of the solution. We want to raise awareness of the issues that people of color live with every single day. And we want you to know your voice needs to be heard and we wanna be a platform through which you can speak. We need to hear about your experience as a person of color. And to that end, we have created our, our email, a special email, just for that purpose, stories at Brazzasfellowship.com. And I want to encourage you, if you would, take just a few minutes to be able to share with us part of your story, part of your story as a person of color, and, and help us to understand that experience. I just want you to know that here at Brazos Fellowship, we are listening and we are learning. And my hope and my prayer is that as we work together, that we can build a better world for our kids than the one that we were given. And I believe with all my heart, with Jesus' help, that is possible. We love you. Thank you. Weary and burdened. Let's pause for just a second. My goodness, has there ever been a time where we have felt just as a culture, as a community, more weary and burdened than these last few months? This has never been more appropriate than right now. I mean, for such a time as this, this moment in history, I believe that God wants you to hear this. I believe this message is specifically for you today. That he's saying, if you're weary and burdened, here's what I want you to know. I will give you rest take my yoke upon you learn from me and we talked about this yoke it was a piece of farming equipment that just helped you to be able to bear up under a load in other words Jesus saying life has a load life has a weight to it and it's not easy but I'm going to give you a way to live life where it's not crippling It's not wearisome and burdensome all the time. He says, Take my yoke upon me, upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You need to know my heart, Jesus is saying. I'm gentle and humble at heart, and you will find rest. Here's the result, in other words, you will find rest for your souls. This is what's going to happen if you follow my lead. If you do what I do, follow my practices, follow my habits, follow my routines, follow my disciplines, in other words, in my life, spiritually speaking, this is the result. And he ends by saying this, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He invites us into this life of not only receiving him into our life, but patterning our lives after his it's beautiful to see how his invitation is still just as relevant today than ever before. Now, we've got to ask the question, why is this so hard? Because it is hard, isn't it? I mean, let's be brutally honest. This is not easy to do. We hit roadblocks all the time. This is a difficult thing for us to be able to implement. And part of the reason why it is so hard comes down to a little word called desire. Now, desire in and of itself isn't Bad. As a matter of fact, we could say that desire is a great motivator. Desire really is the thing that gets us up out of bed. It got me up out of the bed this morning because I desired to bring a a good message for you guys. I want to be able to put food on the table for my family. I bet you too that desire drives us the desire to reach goals, the desire to do great things. It gets us up out of the bed. But, however, if at any point, desire stops being something that is led by you, and desire begins to drive your life, it's driving your life, then you're in trouble. Because here's what we know about desire. Desire is never satisfied. I mean, never. King Solomon in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse eight. Here's what he says. He says, the eye has never had enough, has never has enough seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. Think about this. Let's just test this for a minute. Have you ever? Gone to a, an amazing movie. Maybe the, you would say, the best movie I've ever seen. Do you ever watch walk out of the movie saying, I never have to see another movie ever again? Like, I'm good. That movie was so good. My eye has seen all the movie it ever needs to see, right? We never say that. Have you ever heard a song and you go, that's the best song I've ever heard? That is, I get goosebumps Like, it was amazing. I don't have to hear any more music now. Like, we, we don't ever say that. We don't, that's not the way we're built, right? The towering intellect, Thomas Aquinas, great thinker, philosopher, theologian, incredible. He once asked the question, what would it take to feel satisfied, for us as humans to feel satisfied? What would it take? And you know what the answer is he came up with? Everything. Everything. You would have to experience everything. You would have to experience everything. Person, you would have to travel to every location, every exotic location. You would have to eat every kind of food. You would have to drink every kind of drink. You would have to achieve every kind of achievement, every kind of award. You would have to own every kind of possession. You would have to have every kind of experience. And he says, and even then, your heart would never be fully and completely satisfied. Isn't that amazing? One of the most brilliant minds to ever think about this. And one of our more modern poets once said, I can't get no satisfaction, and I try and I okay, I'll stop. All right. Okay, anyway, yes, I'm sure you've heard that one before, right? I can't get no satisfaction. It doesn't matter, we're talking about theologians, philosophers, poets, musicians. They have all come to the same conclusion. Desire is infinite. But here's the problem. You and I, we're not infinite. We are finite. We all have limitations. Remember, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. We are all finite. So the result is what? Is restlessness. Our hearts, our souls are restless. Now, for those of you out there that love math equations, right? Let me, let me just break this down into a math equation. Infinite desire minus finite soul equals restlessness, right? That's the equation that's happening. If we could be really honest inside of every one of us, most of us live with chronic, unsatisfied desire, that we feel like we're not quite there. It never quite feels like I'm totally satisfied. And even when I get that thing or that accomplishment or I move into the new house or whatever, it's never quite what I'd hoped it could be. So the question we're left asking, what do we do with all this pent up unsatisfied desire? What, what are we supposed to do with all of that? Jesus spoke to that. And he says, the reason you feel like that is because you've been wired a particular way. And here's how you've been wired. You have been wired to be with God forever. You've been wired to live with God forever in a relationship. And anything less than that will leave you unsatisfied will always leave you unsatisfied. This is why, ladies and gentlemen, it's so important that we take desire and we put it back in its proper proportion back on God. Put our desire and place it upon God because the moment it gets on anything else, it reaps only dissatisfaction and destruction in our life. And and, and try to put every other desire that we have in our life below God this is the way our soul is aligned. This is the way we were created. This is the beautiful, brilliant design behind the way we were created. And St. Augustine, again, another brilliant theological mind, back when he was witnessing the fall of the Holy Roman Empire before his very eyes, he made this observation. He says, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. There is nothing on this earth that's ever gonna take away that restlessness except our creator, the conclusion he came to. And he says, oh, that feels good. That's the right place. That's where the heart goes, right there. And Dallas Willard, in his book, Life Without Lack, I love how he puts it. He explains it so beautifully. Desire is is infinite partly because we were made by God, made for God, made to need God, and made to run on God. We can be satisfied only by the one who is infinite, eternal, and able to supply all our needs. We are only at home in God. And get this part. When we fall away from God, the desire for the infinite remains, but it is displaced upon things that will certainly lead to Destruction. It only winds up hurting us the moment we place our desire upon something other than God. Therefore, we're left asking the question, going back to our Matthew 11 verse Is there a practice from Jesus, from the way of Jesus, that could help save us from this restlessness of our souls? Is there something that we can do that can, as, as followers of Jesus, as people who are trying to be apprentices of Jesus that could help us with this, because we all feel this, I mean, let's be honest, right? We all feel it, and of course, the answer is a resounding yes. You already knew the answer was yes, right? And the answer is more than just yes, the answer was a practice that Jesus always did every single week of his life, it was called the Sabbath. Now the word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat that means to stop. It simply is a day, 24-hour period, to stop, to stop working, to stop wanting, to stop shopping, to stop worrying, to stop, to take a breath. It is the thing that Jesus taught your soul longs for, my soul longs for. We desire this so much. And the crazy thing is, because you've got all kinds of advertisements that are telling you if you really want to rest, what you need is a new bed. You need to travel to an exotic location and vacation here. Look at all these pictures, you know. And what you really need, you don't need to travel to an exotic location. All you need to do is Sabbath, to rest, to learn this discipline, this beautifully simplistic discipline of Jesus that was interwoven into the fabric of his every week routine to slow down, to rest, and to worship, and to delight in God and all that he was doing around Jesus' life. Beautiful. Now, there's this time where Jesus is taking a Sabbath with his apprentices, and they're literally walking through a grain field, right? And as they're walking through the grain field, some of the disciples are snapping off the top of the grain, and they're eating it. Well, the Pharisees, these religious leaders, see this and they take issue with Jesus and how they're celebrating the Sabbath, and he and his apprentices, and they're like, Jesus, this is not flying with us. We don't like this. You need to be following the rules like everybody else on the Sabbath. And Jesus gently reprimands them by saying this in Mark two twenty seven. Love this. He says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I want to explain this for just a second because in context, Jesus was pushing back on a religious system that was guilt-heavy. It was rules-heavy. you got to follow all the rules if you're going to do the Sabbath correctly. And Jesus is saying, no, you have totally missed the Father God's heart on this deal. The, the, the uh, Sabbath was meant to be restful, replenishing, joyful, Good. It was made for you, not for you just to have more rules. It's not supposed to be a burden. It's not supposed to be more rule keeping. You've completely missed this. Now, fast forward to today. We don't our problem today isn't being legalistic about the Sabbath. If we're really honest, most of us would say uh, our biggest issue with today is we don't really understand the Sabbath. We don't really keep the Sabbath. A day off, sure. Um, Sunday worship, you know, when I can, right? But really observing a Sabbath, most people would say, I'm not even sure how to do that exactly. I'm not really sure how to go about that. But what Jesus is showing us here, and this is what I want to unpack with you over these next few minutes, is how to begin this process. And we're going to actually talk more about it next week and get into it even more, but What Jesus is getting into here, he's tapping into a rhythm to creation that is old as the earth itself. As a matter of fact, when we go all the way back to the very first verse of the entire Bible, Genesis chapter one, verse one, we see that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And over the next several verses, we see unfolded six days of God doing hard work. He literally gets the universe up and running, right? We see creating all that is. And then we see on the seventh day, something really interesting happens. In Genesis chapter two, verse two, here's what we're told. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. This word holy literally means to set apart. To set it apart. Set apart because on it he rested from all the work of creating that had been done. That he had had done. And so, did you catch that? Twice we're told God rested. He rested What exactly does that mean? There's something really powerful going on here that God rested and when he rested, when he paused one in seven, six days on, one day off, he built into creation a rhythm. You see rhythms all through creation that every day there's a sunrise and there's a sunset, right? that it, it, planetary rotations happen in rhythms. Seasons happen in rhythms. The tides move in rhythms. Even within our own bodies, our heart beats to a rhythm. We, we breathe in and out in a rhythm. We walk in a rhythm. We even have circadian rhythms that when we respect them, sleeping and being awake and restfulness actually cause us to flourish Everything comes in rhythms. Even labor pains come in rhythms. Amen, ladies? Like everything has a rhythm to it. And this is what God is showing us, that he created everything to have these kinds of rhythms. And he is calling us into a particular rhythm with every single week of our lives to be able to trust him. And what's beautiful is that God dwells in in those rhythms. And when we respect those rhythms, we flourish as human beings. When we disrespect and we push back on them, we literally find ourselves going across the grain of the universe that God has created. And it starts to hurt us. It starts to break down in our own life. And we pay the price. But God is saying, Come to me. Jesus echoes it again in this Matthew eleven twenty eight passage. And I want to read it to you from the message. I love how he says it here, how it's translated. It says, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Why? Because everybody needs a rest. Now, what does this mean when Scripture says that God rested? Was he tired Let's go back to our definition of Sabbath. Shabbat, as we said, means stop, but it can also mean delight, that God delighted in what he had created. He took a few moments, uh, or a day rather, to, to pause and celebrate all that he had created, to enjoy it. And he's showing us that This is a pattern that I want you to slow down, just like God did, and enjoy one out of seven days to learn how to enjoy it, to rest, to worship, to pray, to make the most of it as a replenishing time. And and let me give you a good filter question. I love this. This is not original to me. I came across this week. I thought it was beautiful. What could you do for 24 hours that would fill my soul, that would fill your soul with deep joy, like exuberant, overflowing joy? Because if that's not how you feel about your Sabbath, then you're doing it wrong because God was filled with joy. It was something that brought enjoyment to him. He, he celebrated it. It's beautiful to see how God echoes, he mirrors, he reflects for us how we're to respond to the Sabbath. Beautiful. And this is not always kept, it's not always respected in our society that many times people say, no, I can't do that, I can't take a day off. And sometimes maybe you're literally in a situation where you can't take a day off, you're literally asked to work every single day. And I think that we ought to work together to try to help solve some of those issues in our culture. That there are Christian companies out there that are starting to say, we're going to take a Sabbath. We're going to let people have a rest. And I think it's awesome. It's been cool to see how some of those have been really blessed in the process. But there have been times in the past, the one time in, in, in history when society, a society had pushed back on the seven-day seven work week was during the French Revolution, right about it a couple of weeks ago, where they moved to a 10-day work week. Some of you might have heard of this before. And they moved to a 10-day work week in order to raise productivity. So what was the result? Their economy crashed. Their productivity plummeted. And suicide rates skyrocketed. They abandoned the whole thing just after a couple of years, And I see it again and again, study after study after study that would say that after a certain number of hours of work a week, all of our productivity goes down. And you know what that number is? Roughly 50 hours of work. Ironically, that's about a six-day work week. Interesting. Another study said that they found no difference in productivity between people who log 70 hours of work a week and those who worked about 55 hours. Could it be that God is speaking to us through our own bodies, saying, I built you to rest. I built you to slow down, to replenish, to have a day of enjoyment and worship and let it refresh and replenish you It's so easy to get caught up in the speed of life and let this fall by the wayside. It's so important that we need to remember that that God enjoyed his day. It was a day of enjoyment. And I love what Dan uh, Dan Allender, in his book, The Sabbath, or Sabbath, he writes about this. And I love how he puts it. He says, the Sabbath is an invitation to inner delight when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it is the best day of our week. Sabbath is the holy time where we feast, play, dance, have sex. Did he just say that? Wait, sing, pray, laugh, tell stories, read, paint, walk, and watch creation in its fullness Few people are willing to enter the Sabbath and sanctify it, to make it holy, because a full day of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone in a week. And this is what God is calling us into. And this is the thing that many people, I would say most people are missing out on. Most apprentices of Jesus are not experiencing this. And if I can be brutally honest in my own life, for years, I didn't do that. And it did take a toll on my body. Anxiety, stress, depression at times. It took a toll on my family. They had to put up with me. Um, But I'm so thankful that God has helped me to begin to be more disciplined about this rhythm and I just want to encourage you to begin to do the same thing. As we look back on what was it about this day, this Sabbath day, the seventh day, Of creation. You see that God, it says that he called it holy and he blessed it. Now let's back up real quick. I'm just going to summarize this first chapter or so of creation, the creation story. God blesses three things. We're told that he blessed the animal kingdom, go be fruitful and multiply. He blessed human beings, also told them be fruitful and multiply. And then he blessed a day. That's kind of weird, isn't it? What does that mean? What that means is that that day That Sabbath day, day number seven, is just like the animal kingdom and just like human beings, it has the capacity to produce more life in us and in our sphere of influence and in our experience as human beings. Beautiful. I came across a survey this week. This guy is a, a doctor who had done a survey to find the happiest people on Earth, and among the top of the list was a group of Christians that were literally religious about the Sabbath. They observed every seven days they observed a Sabbath, and what he found was these people not only were happy, but they lived on average ten years longer than the average American. That's pretty remarkable, isn't it? So that got me intrigued. I started thinking, I'm gonna do a little math here. I did the math, and if you observed one day in seven, a Sabbath every seven days for your entire life, it adds up to, wait for it, roughly 10 years. Almost exactly over a lifetime. What I'm telling you today is, folks, is that when we say the Sabbath is life-giving, that's not empty rhetoric. That equates into actual, real, improved life quality. God knew what he was doing when he put this together. And what's so beautiful is that when we see Jesus' practices, what he taught about this, he never in any way annulled the Sabbath. Jesus never said, okay, you don't have to do that anymore, all right? In Mark 2.28, as a matter of fact, this is the very next verse from the one where we said, uh, where he said, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He goes on to say, so the Son of Man is the Lord of even the Sabbath. It's my day. It's the Lord's day. It's my day to get to be with you. And I want as much uninterrupted time to just us to enjoy the day together and with your family and with people that you love and just learn to rest and learn to get away pull back we need this so desperately and next weekend I want to talk a little bit more about two of the most critical commands in scripture that specifically speak to the Sabbath but one more time Jesus calls us to this rest Matthew 11 come to me Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a rest. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to go take a Sabbath now. (laughs) We all need a rest, don't we? It's beautiful, and Jesus is saying, we can begin this now. I love you, and I am your Sabbath in, in other words, just in the same way that Sabbath is a break from work and all the hustle and bustle and the hurryness and the, the, all of the fast paced, frenetic energy of this world, pulling back in a similar way, Jesus is our Sabbath from the breakneck speed of this world and the sin that we feel all around us, all of the burdenness and the weariness that we feel. He says, listen, if you come to me, I will forgive sin and I will replenish your soul and I will make you my child today. You can become my child. I love you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care who you are. You are welcome. Come to me right now all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Here's our application prayer today. It's simply saying, Jesus, I commit to practice a Sabbath every week as you did. My soul rests and delights in you. And maybe today, the challenge that God is nudging your heart with is to invite Jesus Christ into your life so that he truly is the rest of your soul, that he truly is the thing that your soul delights in. You can't do that unless you know him. And today, I want to encourage those of you who do know him to begin to make time to Sabbath with him. And for those of you who don't know him, that you would invite him into your life and begin a whole new life of freedom where your soul finally finds rest in him. Once again, thanks for listening.